welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things parenting and mental health. Today, I am really happy to have on Jessica Spear. Jessica is the highly acclaimed author of The Phone Book, Stay Safe, Be Smart, and Make the World Better with the Powerful Device in Your Hand. Her interactive books engage and entertain readers by combining the stories of preteens and teens with activities and insights. She has a master's degree in social sciences, and she likes to explore topics and ways that connect with kids, which is a perfect fit for me. I also want to say Jessica is the author of other books um, that are related. They're titled BFF or NRF, in case people don't know. NRF stands for Not Really Friends, A Girl's Guide to Happy Friendships. And she's also the author of Middle School Safety Goggles Advised. So you, you are my people. Welcome, Jessica. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Cheryl. It's so great to be here with you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because, of course, these are topics that are near and dear to my heart. And it was so great because you reached out to me and said, like, hey, we are both here in Colorado. And I think, you know, our work aligns and you were exactly right. And I read the phone book and I really enjoyed it. And I know people listening right now might not um, have read it yet, but it's got a lot of visuals in it. It's really interactive. It's great. So let's start with that book. It's your most recent. Tell me all about it. How did you get to it? What inspired you to write it? And um, just kind of take us on your journey. Sure. Well, the phone book, I, I came up with the idea during the pandemic when we were all getting sucked into our phones. And at that point, I had a preteen and an early teen, and they were both, you know, getting started off with their phones. And I, as a parent, realized I didn't even know all the conversations I needed to have with them. I knew there were a lot, but I, I just didn't know all of them. Then I watched this movie, and I don't know if you saw this, Dr. Cheryl, but did you see The Social Dilemma? Did you see oh, ever... yeah. Okay, so oh, yeah. that then I thought, okay, yeah, there's even more stuff that I need to talk to my kids about that I don't even know. So, you know, as a writer for kids and as a researcher, you know, who loves social sciences, thought, this is my next book. I have to dive into that, you know, for self-serving purposes, because I want to know as a parent but also I found that there's a gap of really simple, there's so much information out there about what we need to be talking our kids about, but it's everywhere. And it's, so I wanted a simple guide that kids could use to really navigate their first phone. Um, so I, I just got started. I started researching and writing um, and that book just came out this past summer. So in August. Oh, that's so wonderful. So for, you mentioned the social dilemma um, for people who may not um, have watched it yet, I would really encourage every parent to watch The Social Dilemma. You can uh, see it on Netflix. And it really just kind of breaks down and talks about how social media um, impacts kids, adults, and how it's kind of created and intended. And it can be a little frightening at times, but I watched it with my kids. And so I'm wondering, did you watch it with your kids? I did. I did watch it with my kids. I watched it first by myself, but I did. My kids were at that point, I want to say 12 and 14. And, and I felt it was totally appropriate. And, and what was so eye-opening for me and then for them as well, and it opened up great conversations. You know, it's really important for all of us and kids and teens to know the tech business model. So it talks a lot about that. It talks about the influence of advertising. It talks about persuasive design, which is, you know, all these amazing things that phones do that keep drawing us back, you know, such as tagging and notifications and levels and tokens and 
you know, Snapchat streak. So all these things that, you know, just draw us back to our phones. Um, so, you know, when kids know that, they're in a better place to be more informed consumers of technology. So, so because of that, you know, that, that, that drew into the first chapter of my book. So the first chapter of my book is called Why Tech Companies Want You Staring at Your Screen. Because I think we all have to start there. You know, if we, if we have that base of knowledge, that's a perfect place for us to start and grow from. Yeah, I, I'm curious what your experience has been. When I talked to my kids who at the time when we watched it were probably maybe not even teenagers yet, maybe 10 and 12 or something like that, the persuasive design piece, right? That whole element of social media. And I come at it with a lot of empathy, like you being so addicted and needing your phone and getting agitated and irritable when you're off of it is by design, This is not just you, you're not doing anything wrong, but we need to learn how to control this. But I have to say, at least for my kids, it didn't seem that persuasive to them being, you know, saying things like, you know, you are the product and you are what, you know, is sort of a a target. So I'm just curious, do you find that changes kids' minds to kind of help them understand the drive behind all of this? You know, at some kids, it affects differently. You know, for my kids, actually, they they thought that was impactful. That did actually kind of raise their awareness and and help them, you know, just watch their behaviors. But every kid is different, and every kid is at a different even phase in their relationship with their technology. I've noticed, even you know, as my kids are now fifteen and seventeen, their relationship with their technology is different than it was way back when. You know, so I feel like they're all growing and changing, and their levels of awareness and even their levels of being connected to their phones is is changing you know so so um you know, like this past summer i thought it was so interesting my now 17 year old decided to take a tiktok break she's like you know what i'm taking a break it takes so much of my time and it's summer i don't have to be up on all the stuff i don't have to know all the trends and she's like i'm i'm getting back to books i'm getting outside and and she did it i was like good for you you know so so you know it just shows that they're all kind of growing and changing and learning how to navigate this world as we are as adults yeah and so in that case you didn't necessarily set her up or encourage her to take a TikTok break. She just decided for her own self at 17, I think that I could use this. Yes, yes. And you know, I think part of that comes from one, my poor kids as I was writing this book, they were they were my fact checkers, they were my beta readers. So my kids, more than probably any other teens out there, have been inundated with facts. But I what I also try to do, and I know you do this too, Dr. Cheryl, and, and a lot of your listeners, is try to cultivate a place at home where we can talk about this without any shame or, you know, judgment, because it is hard. Like we talked about earlier, these technologies are so beautifully designed that we're up against some really challenging things here to, to manage our behaviors on screens. So if we come at it with that, like you said, the word empathy, if we come at it with empathy and compassion and patience, um, you know, we cultivate that at home so that they can then out loud, you know, share some of these things that like, you know what, I think I need to take a summer break from TikTok. Yeah, so, so, you know, it's, it's that environment we cultivate at home so that they hopefully feel safe enough to share what's really going on inside 
them because what I have found, and this is even with my other books, talking to talking to kids and teens, is I find that a lot of young people have kind of a love hate relationship with their technologies. They love it because this is the way they connect with their peers. They get a lot of validation. They get a lot of support, a lot of information, you know, resources. But at this other side, they realize just the digital stress that comes with all that. There's a lot to keeping up with all the social scene. You know, there's a, there's a lot of stress, you know, with, you know, being able to access your grades at any moment. And so there's a lot that they're trying to navigate. Um, So they love it, but sometimes they're, they're actually really ready to take a break too. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that mostly comes with age. I think the Mm -hmm. older kids get, there is a light sort of at the end of the tunnel where, they may realize that, but I want to actually go to young kids. So if you are maybe a parent of, you know, tweens, younger tweens, and you're looking for a resource, where do you just start? What do you think are best practices in terms of having a healthy, you know, digital relationship and relationship with social media? Well, I think it, it's far as social media or just tech in general. Do you both? Yeah, both. both. Okay. Both. I think you know, for tech in general, it starts really early, you know, because because kids are on devices so very early these days, the tablets. And so I think, you know, the conversations start very young and, and setting some boundaries and some family rules in place starts very young. And then, you know, coming, getting into elementary school, you know, that's when kids start asking. So, so some kids start getting phones in elementary school now. So other kids see that and they start asking. And this is always a real challenging time for parents because they they might not be ready for those questions so early. Like uh, when when is the time to get a phone? So this is a great time again to to keep the conversations going to really think about that. That's a big decision. So I encourage families you know, to delay it as long as you possibly can. But there comes a point where that can actually be de- detrimental too. So sometime around the middle school years, when all communication switches online. You know, a a seventh grader might not take the step to actually say, oh, wait, so-and-so isn't here in this group text. Let me you know, have my mom text his mom, like that just doesn't happen anymore. So, so at some point we have to figure out, is our child getting so isolated that they can't really connect with their peers anymore? Um, And sometimes that's the point where parents make the decision, but every family is different. I don't think there's a perfect age for every kid. Every community is different. In fact, every peer group is different. You know, your, your child might be in a group of kids that that's not even a thing, but in another group, it is a thing. So, so there's a lot to navigate here, but I think to get back to your question, you know, I think lots of conversations starting early, some sort of tech family tech agreement in place, even before there's a phone, like how does your family manage screens at home? When do they go away? Which places are they not allowed? Um, You know, what sort of boundaries do you have in place? You know, do you have any controls in place that there's some sites that they are not allowed to go to in the home? So I think just really, it's, it's an ongoing long process that I actually feel is goes from childhood all the way until they actually leave our home. <laughs> so so it's, it's a new part of parenting these days. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I've been uh, struck by is the Surgeon General put out a notice that uh, lots of things, but one of the one of the notices was that maybe parents and kids need to go through sort of a digital education, sort of like driver's ed before you drive. And there's sort of the digital education before you get on to social media and social media apps and maybe just technology in general. What are your thoughts around that? 
I love that idea. What I here's what I really feel, Dr. Cheryl, is I feel like this has all come out so fast that the regulations and guidelines are not there yet for kids. And I think the Attorney General's report clearly states that. So I actually have a, a copy of that on my desk because I feel like that's a great resource to talk to your kids with too. There's like a, a two-page executive summary that talks about this because a lot of kids aren't aware that that's where we are right now. So, so when I talk to kids, sometimes I say, okay, so cars came out in the 1800s. It took until the 1980s, so almost a century before we got seatbelts. And that was a battle. Like there was a battle. Nobody wanted to see their seatbelts in the car. And we, then we started with kids. Like it was New York State, I believe, that it passed. Okay, can we at least get the kids to buckle up? And then look at us now. Though. Now we've got safety sensors, and backup cameras. And so it took us a long time. So as I was researching this book, I sat in on a lot of these discussions that are happening, you know, at the federal level to try to put some of these guidelines in place. And, and to me, it's so compelling that, yes, I think the evidence is there that we really can put, use some guidelines to really help kids and families navigate the World Wide Web in safer ways. But they're not there yet. You know, so, so after five years, two bills that, you know, would be the starting point just made it out of committee. You know, so, so after five years of really compelling testimony. So, so we're working on this Sort of, you know, it's, it, there's the, the, the government's having a hard time getting a lot of things through at this point. But how I see this is it's going to happen. So I'm 100% agree with what the Surgeon General said. What I love to see is at some point, it's there's much, there's clear guardrails in place. And we're very aware of like, when kids are getting in line and what they're seeing. And, and yeah, I'd love that. I think that would be so helpful to parents too. Now that it's, it's all over the board, which is tough for parents to navigate. Yeah, I think that that is a really, you know, a great sort of analogy or just comparison story to say, we invented the car, and then it took 100 years to get a seatbelt in it, right? So social media was invented and, and portable technology that's in the palm of your hand, the smartphone was invented. And we hope it doesn't take 100 years, but it could take 20 years from when it was invented till now to really, to really understand. And we don't want to wait 20 years. Your childhood's not that long. We can't afford to wait that long. So we need to do the best that we can. I think what I hear a lot from parents are that they do feel really kind of lost. And there's everything from, you know, I see regularly, like we all do, if you're paying attention, there's lots of really toddlers that are you know, walking around a grocery store, an airport, an airport, whatever, you know, with an iPad or their parents' smartphone in their hands. And we really do know that there are significant consequences when we have toddlers that are consumed by high levels of screen time. I know your book is geared toward tweens and teens, but so much of this starts earlier. What do you want to say um, to a parent who's like, gosh, well, sometimes I just need to get stuff done or like, I didn't want them to have a meltdown here. So I, you know, put a screen in front of them. What are, what did you find in your research around that? Uh, I so get that. I so, I so remember those years and you probably do too, Dr. Cheryl, where, you know, you just, you just want to break, you know, you want to take a shower. You want to, so I, I, I empathize with those parents where they have this gadget that will totally, you know, keep their, their little one busy for a while. But yeah, it, it does worry me because I think some of those, those engagements that, you know, the kids get so much from 
our attention and focus. So our facial expressions, our speaking words to them, our interaction is so, so key to their development. Um, so, so yeah, I, that does worry me, but I get, I get where parents are, where they just need something for a little bit, but I just, I, I would encourage parents to, to really check out the guidelines that are put out by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Look at, you know, the, the amount of time that they, they recommend per age and just do our best to do that if we can. And, and, you know, the, 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 if we can make that happen, the good thing is, is that, you know, we're teaching kids early how to, to make this manageable and balance in their lives and not to get too reliant on these screens. So, so we're starting early to help them learn some of these skills that are coming to play later that they're going to need to, 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 to manage screens in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned skills that kids need to learn skills in order to have this sense of maybe digital health, digital wellness, there's different terms for this. Can you talk, can you pick maybe one or two skills that you think are really essential in, in the effort toward finding some sort of balance and health within a space that can be really pretty addictive? Yeah. Okay. So one is, and this again is a developmental thing, but just noticing how they feel after spending time on screens. So, so noticing that after a certain amount of time, we start to feel bad or, you know, it really affects our mood. So, so encouraging them to check in with themselves with how is this screen time impacting me? So, and that takes, of course, time and development. But if we keep encouraging and keep practicing it with them, that'll help them start to be aware of that. The other thing is, um, you know, the way these technologies are designed is, you know, we don't have to do anything. We can passively watch and scroll for a really long time. But I encourage kids and teens to actually be really proactive and curate their feed because there's been studies shown that that will impact their mood in a, in a significant way. So, so if instead of just watching, you know, what's next, you know, they think about, you know, how is this contact or how is this content impacting me? You know, do I need to change up my feed? You know, cause sometimes algorithms will get to a dark place and they might be because a, say, let's say a teen was watching some fitness videos on TikTok, And then all of a sudden some, you know, diet culture stuff sneaks in there and then some, you know, really unhealthy you know, body standard sneaks in there. So they might have to actually go in there and start curating their feet, you know, changing things up. What do I want to see? And I encourage kids to really think about following people and things that are really making the world better. So people that inspire you, you know, people that are making really positive, awesome changes instead of maybe some influencers that are starting to make you feel bad about yourself. Yeah, I think you you touched upon something that probably has a big variation in how people understand it, which is the algorithm. There's going to be some people who are like, yep, totally know what an algorithm is. And I think there's going to be other parents that are like, oh, what, what does that really mean? So what, what I want to say from my perspective is that if you want to know what your kid is looking at, you can check out their sort of their feed, their for you page. That is very much curated by an algorithm. You know, I did that. I don't know, sometime this summer to my teen daughter's feed. And it was a lot of like cute and funny baby videos, which I, you know, aside relief, like, okay, you know, that's, you know, I know she might be looking at other things, but there's the algorithm is saying, oh, cute, funny baby videos, which for her makes total sense. I've done it with my sons and for his, it's, you know, all sports. And so that makes sense for him. What do you want to say to a parent who maybe has moderate to low understanding about algorithms? 
Okay. And so this, and this is one of the things I wanted to be sure to include in the book, because I think this is really important for for kids and their parents to know this is again how tech works how it keeps us keeps us so engaged in screens and 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 one of the reasons that kids and teens love tiktok is the algorithm is so good at at knowing what they think they want to see you know so so you know my my teen daughter will even say that she's like oh my gosh it's amazing they just feed me the stuff that i love so when algorithm does is it takes our watching patterns and even even when we're scrolling if we slow down on something it picks up that hey I think they're interested in this so it's it's gathering all this data on our behaviors online so it can send the stuff that we want to see you know so their goal is to keep us online and engaged and entertained um, so that's what those algorithms do and and for the most part like you said dr Cheryl you know for, for kids and teens it's actually probably a really positive good thing you know you get you get the sports they want to see or they get the cute baby videos you know but sometimes it can actually take them to dark places so so this is where it gets it's important for kids to know that that, that sometimes this might take you to a dark place so that's where you get actively involved in you know changing your feet, changing it up, get back to the stuff that's inspiring you. Yeah. What do you think about parents looking through their kids' phones? Let's say teens. Um, (laughs) What do you, what do you think about looking through their, you know, you hand in your phone at night. I think that should be a standard. You hand in your phone at night, you never sleep with your phone in your room. I always tell kids you can buy an alarm clock, those excuses of it's my alarm. I personally not a fan of, I feel like there's different feelings and thoughts around looking actually looking through your child's phone and feeds. What do you think? Yeah. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. Okay. Here's my take on it. Cause I know this, there's different opinions on this. My thought is when they're younger, say they're a preteen and they're just getting their phone. Part of your tech agreement might be that you have their passwords and you can, you know, whenever you need to check their phones. Um, so that's, to me, that's a, that's a, a reasonable place to start. And it might make them think about what they're posting and sharing because they know, hey, you might check that. But I, I feel like once kids get further along in the teens, then it's time for privacy. You know, so I feel like it's, it's not my place as a parent anymore for my 15 year old to be going into her private conversations with her friends. So, so that is my take on this. And, and hopefully when my kids were younger, I noticed that they were actually being responsible and, and they were communicating, you know, inappropriate ways. And so therefore when I let go, I felt okay about that. But, but what are your thoughts on Cause I know this is kind of a hot button topic. Yeah, it is a hot button topic. I'm going to speak from more so some like direct experience. So I agree. I think the, I think the tech agreements, by the way, for people listening, there are different ones. You can get them online. This isn't something like actually informal. I use common sense media one. There's different agreements. You can make up your own. There's guides out there. That's the first thing I want to say. So I think it's really important to not only have it, but to also review it. Maybe it's every three months, every six months, but developmentally, the difference between, you know, a 10 and an 18 year old is so dramatic. You have to review it pretty often. So I think that's key too. Some people have it. They don't know where it is. You know, they, oh, what did I say the consequence would be if, you know, even if you broke your phone, right? Like just what do you do? So have the agreement, review the agreement, update the agreement accordingly. And so I think a part of that, like you're saying around um, checking your phone, I say like I have a 15, almost 16 year old. I want her to know that at any time I do feel the right that I could look. I very rarely do. But if I feel like I 
have to, want to, or my gut tells me that I should, my approach, and I've been t- you know, working with families around this as well, is to say to the kid, in my case, to my daughter, I'm just feeling like maybe something's going on. Well, why do you say that? I don't know. I've just been noticing at night, you're having a harder time turning it in on time. I'm noticing when I'm walking into the room, you're hiding it really quickly, right? So now I'm making stuff up. But um, whatever it is that makes me feel like, mm, I feel like I want to look at her phone tonight. I kind of try to approach it that way with the clients that I'm working with. I kind of talk to them about the agreements that if you don't want your parent looking at your phone, I kind of get it. It feels like they're going through a diary. Maybe that's what we can relate to as parents. That would be like your parents saying every night, I'm going to read your diary and your diary <laughs> entry. Um, but, you know, but really just ha- being able to have conversations about something in your behavior is causing me to feel like I want to talk to you about this. I actually really want to look at your phone, but I'm going to hold off on doing that. But I want to talk to you because I'm noticing X, Y, and Z. That's kind of, I think, what a good balanced approach is around this. Yeah. And I love that you're just open about this. Is You're asking the question. You're concerned. Here's what you're seeing. I love that. So, so yeah, I, 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 I 100% agree with that, too. I think you know, so much of this depends on the kid and what we're seeing as parents. You know, I think we need to listen to our guts. If we feel like something is not good here, you know, we can't ignore that. We have to step in. We have to, to watch our kids because there there is a lot of bad stuff going on. So I don't want to pretend that there's not. There's a lot of toxic, bad stuff. So absolutely, if you sense there is something not right, it is, it's time. It's time to have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And when I hear you saying like, there's a lot of toxic, bad stuff, sometimes without us being specific, you know, I, I wonder for some parents, either that kind of statement either makes them scared or, or they think like, oh, you know, there's a lot of toxic bad stuff in the whole world. But I think, you know, some of the things that I see, I don't know what you would add to this list are, you know, there's a real boundary around pictures, sending inappropriate pictures, you know, full nudes or very provo- sexually provocative pictures. I think that's pretty common. Of course, we know that cyberbullying is a real problem. We see that, you know, if you kind of look in kids' feeds, sometimes you can see those things, harassing somebody or saying something awful or just being mean um, or exclusionary, not, you know, responding well. Um, I think there's language and culture that kids can use on social media or just through tech that maybe they wouldn't say in person and they wouldn't actually verbalize, but they'll surely write it or share memes around it. So those are the some, some of some, and there's more, but some of the sort of scarier things or inappropriate things that you might want to monitor. What what would you add? Well, and you, you touched on this, but I also like just to make clear to parents porn. Like, I don't think, you know, parents realize how huge the porn industry is and how inappropriate it is for kids to see. Um, so when we grew up, we might have stumbled upon, you know, a playboy or a playgirl, and, but you know, if, if parents want to be shocked and see what's out there, it is absolutely not the sex education we would want our kids to have. There's often violence and there's not consent. And, you know, it's, I, I'm not even understating how horrible it can be. And it's so accessible. So, so for me, that's a big concern is young kids coming across content that is really hard for them to see and understand. Yes. And, and I always like to remind parents, Two things. You can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. So it's there and it can feel like almost a traumatic reaction. I do get, I'd say at least a call a month about a kid, you know, that they were watching porn online 
And um, they're horrified. Parents are horrified. They're, and it feels like a traumatic event almost. Whereas I think, you know, maybe again, when our generation came across a Playboy magazine, it, it might have felt really uncomfortable and a little bit shocking, but it probably wasn't traumatic. So really different. So I think I, I'm glad that you said that. I don't know that we are comfortable and about talking about porn enough. And um, the access for kids is so rampant online. And I think there is a part of, of parenting where you go, oh my gosh, that world, that online world is so big. I, I kind of like don't even want to see it. You know, I just want to hope and pray that it's just going to be okay, right? Because everybody's on it. So it's got to kind of be okay, right? So maybe we'll end on that. What do you say, um, you know, maybe to the parent who just loves their child, wants to be involved in a life, but this just feels so overwhelming and they're figuring it's in the end, we're all going to be okay. Well, I, I would encourage them to actually just have a lot of these conversations. I think, you know, instead of just handing over the connected device, we need to actually have a lot of conversations before that and a lot of scaffolding from, from the time they're very little, age appropriate, building on information, building on information so that, you know, I, I the average age that kids bump into porn is, is around 10. So I, I think you need to have that conversation before then. So, and you actually have to say, okay, there's some things out there and here's what it is. And you might stumble ac across this and it, it's going to feel really disturbing. And I, I'd like you to come talk to me when that happens, you know, just so we can talk that through. And I, I would just you know, be as gentle, as age appropriate as possible, but realizing that as soon as our kids have a, a device that is a window to the world, they're going to see some of these things. So as much as we can preempt with some age appropriate conversations before then, then the kid knows what to do when they, they get to this, this, this content and it just blows their mind, you know, hopefully they'll come talk to you about it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And, and I, I love everything you said. And of course, I think that a lot of your message in the phone book, and certainly my message is that we want to prevent them from bumping into these, you know, kinds of things, because um, it, it is not always as simple as like, oh, you saw that, let's talk about it. It really can be damaging to them because it's overwhelming. So the phone book, by Jessica Spear. I think it's highly engaging, really visual, active kind of book. It's not a passive read. It's something that your kid has. They can fill out. They can write things. You can talk. There's conversation starters in there. Um, I think that, you know, you said a lot, communicate, communicate. And so for a parent who's like, oh my gosh, where do I start? I think the phone book actually is really your guide to helping you start those conversations. So thank you for writing it. Um, and for sharing it with the world beyond just your kids, you could have just been like, okay, I'll do all this research and I'll just talk about it with my kids. But thank you for sharing it with other parents so they can share it with their kids. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on. Oh, thank you for having me, Dr. Cheryl, and for all the work you do. I mean, this is a, an interesting time to raise parents. So thank you for having these conversations because we all need to be helping each other through all this time. We sure do. Thanks so much, Jessica. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Okay. If you have enjoyed this episode of Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, please rate, review, and subscribe. All of those things go a really long way. And I look forward to sharing my other mental health and parenting conversations and books that I come across with you soon. Take care.